Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. And that was really good. Excellent. And hopefully we get past this point where we say we did really good intros. We're almost to episode 20. This almost is episode 19. Team. So I think episode 20, we'll stop doing that unless we mess up. It, it takes 20 episodes to get the intro right. Get the intro right, yep. <laughs> okay, um, this, more progress on the same machine. Cool. Uh, I managed to get that tap out. Um, the I one ended that up, broke last week? Yeah, it was actually really funny because I got a left-hand bit yeah. to get it out. Broke that. <laughs> um, and so I just got a regular right hand. I think it was like a... Oh, what was it? A... Uh, it was larger than an eighth inch bit. I can't remember the exact size. Um, and I put that, I chucked that up into the drill press. Yeah. And it was, it was smaller than the left, the left hand bit was a 4.2 millimeter uh, bit, which is the size oh, for you're doing a. All, all the metric sizes? Well, it's a metric tap. It's an M5 tap. Uh, okay. So 4.2 millimeters is the tap size for that. Sure. Um, so I got an SAE bit to all I had. Okay. Uh, and you just so, cored through it. And so I, I actually cored through the tap <laughs> and then re-tapped the whole thing through that tap. So there's probably still there's some fragments tap, in of there, tap in there. But I was able to get the M5 tap. Uh, it's all clean thread now. It looks good. Well, just as a reminder, this was a 2-56 a hole, right? Or tap. No, 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 no. no. That, that's, that was the, uh, that, that's the Jig of Destiny. Oh, this was a different... This is the same machine. Oh, this machine. was the same machine. Yeah, well, I broke I off the This M5 was another tap. thing that broke. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I broke... One, two, three... I've broken five taps. An equivalent of, like, $80 worth of taps. Ooh. In, like, that's, one week. That's brutal. <laughs> um, it's actually really funny is, once I got on, on the Jig of Destiny, yeah. I, I, I broke a tap on over the weekend, yeah. which is the only, last tap I had. And I ordered three taps. <laughs> I got through all the whole. I did not break a single tap after that. So I have two. I have three two fifty six taps now. Uh huh. <laughs> One of those Murphy Law things. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. It would either be that, or you would break all of them on the last hole. Yeah, and I almost almost did that. Yeah. Because I was tapping the last hole, but I dropped. My tap handle after I unthreaded it, but it landed. Um, it landed the handle side down, and saved the tap. Nice. So, were, were you using uh, oil with it? Yeah, I was using. I wasn't using tap oil. I yeah. was using just three in one just cutting oil, whatever. Yeah, uh, three in one what, electric motor oils, what they call it. Yeah, I mean uh, it, that's the only thing I have. It works. It works. Yeah, um, especially since I'm aluminum, hand tapping. Right? Yeah, I'm hand tapping, so it's not like I'm machine tapping. You have to have that. Specific shear force yeah, of a tap right. fluid, uh, but yeah. Um, so I'm going to work on the upper gantry probably uh, start early next week. Cool, cutting it. Um, I have a uh, we have a cu- uh, a uh, cut saw at, at work to uh, cut that up. Um, it actually has a wood blade, but it does cut extrusion really well. <laughs> <laughs> and then the SSPS front panel design. Should be built next week, and so hopefully by the next podcast, episode twenty, we I will have an update whether or not it works or not. Awesome. And if I, I'm hoping by next next Monday, so two Mondays from now, is start routing the actual front panel, the complete thing, the big thing, big guy. Cool. And that's probably gonna be four layers. That's gonna be a big board. Yeah, just to make, and it's gonna be 
I'll probably make it at like a 2.8 millimeter thick PCB just so it has rigidity across the whole board. Because why not? <laughs> We're already spending a lot of money on this thing. Yeah, this thing is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is I want to build one of these, the super stupid power supply for myself at home. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be awesome power supply. Oh, it'd be killer. Uh, my, my favorite feature that we're building into this thing is it can do power supply noise simulation. Yeah. You don't, don't, you don't see that. I, I, you don't... There's, there's like only the high-end power supplies can do that. Yeah. And you have to program them in. So I want to be able to have, like, you can select Gaussian noise, and then you can select, like, a peak-to-peak -peak level. Yeah. And then it will make Gaussian noise at this, you know, ripple voltage and, you know, shove that through. Yeah, even to put uh, white or pink noise yeah. on top. Yeah, I was actually, actually um, what is the max frequency we can run through those uh, OPA op amps? Oh, shoot. It's probably... Because they can drive speakers, so it's got to be multiple oh, kilohertz. We can, yeah, we, can, we can go up to 20K easy. Uh, it's probably less dependent upon the, op the OPA op amps. It's probably more dependent upon the rest of my circuitry that is limiting the frequency response. Okay. I guess we need to figure that out. I, you know, I think I put a specification of 50 kilohertz. Okay. Do you think it's going to be enough to simulate, like... Yeah, that should be enough to simulate, like, automotive noise and stuff. I guess what we should do is just take the oscilloscope and capture some noise off my Jeep. Well, another thing, um... Yeah, let me let me look at it again because it, uh, I don't know what the roll off is uh, up at the high end. It's probably only a single pole roll off. Uh, so yeah, we need to look at it again. I don't remember off the top of my head. You know, it'd be a cool feature because we want to have an input on it so you can send the signal in, and then it will amplify that signal out. Mm -hmm. It would be cool if we could um, record that signal even for a low, like just a small chunk. Mm -hmm. And so you can repeat that signal Just as, a looper. as a loop. Yeah. That would be cool because then you could pipe in, like, uh, motor noise. Yeah. And just capture that. And, and have real-world. Have real-world noise overlaid your power. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that would be cool. That's now, really cool. I think we got to figure out how much power or how much power we can actually put into that input. I'm thinking at least, like, 24 volts we can capture. Yeah. Record a 24-volt signal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we could absolutely do that. And, in fact, that brings up a, a pretty cool idea that I hadn't thought of before. So we have, we have the digital that's sending commands over to my board, which spits out uh, analog to the op amps. We could have an input that is purely analog that bypasses all the digital. It gets mixed in later on. If you want to dump in an analog signal post all the digital stuff oh yeah you could yeah, dump yeah. in all your digital and mix i mean sorry dump in all your analog and mix it with your digital later in the signal chain yeah, kind of like idea. an effects loop yeah yeah for yeah. a power supply yeah that's a good idea yeah that that could be and it's really easy to implement yeah yeah we should do that yeah yeah i like that cool and let's see um oh yeah we were talking about the jig of destiny so the jig of destiny uh we've been testing it this week it works really well Except this new version doesn't fit in our reflow oven. <laughs> oh, um, why not, Parker? So the re our reflow oven is supposed to be specced at 18 inches wide. Yeah. Uh, the conveyor. I can only get it open 17 and a half. <laughs> and so my jig is like a quarter inch. It's seven and three quarters inch wide. 
Can't you just put it in kind of cockeyed? A little no, bit? it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and so basically, I need to cut it off about. Um, I can I can cut off a quarter inch and make it barely fit. I'm probably going to make it a half inch shorter on the width, just so I have a little bit of wiggle room yeah, for tolerance. Room. Yeah. Kind of annoying. The good thing is it does work through all the other machines. The My 500 and My 200 works great. Yeah. Um, we got to change some of the usability aspect of sliding the the standoffs around, mm-hmm. but it works really well. Um, our our uh, operation seems to really like it. Uh, they're pretty happy with it. So we'll I'll probably next week is next week I'll design the Rev three and get shipped out for for million out. Cool. Yeah, and then uh, let's see. Oh yeah, and then. I'm also going to be working on the Macro Watch Rev 2. Yep. Because we're running out of Macro Watches. So if you if you order a $1,000 order at MacroFab, yeah. you get a Macro Watch for free. And what's a Macro Watch? Macro Watch is a very low-cost binary watch I designed off a Pick 16. I think it's a 16. Yeah. yeah. We got a huge article on a website about it. Um, but the cool thing is we designed it and built it. And like basically mass produced it in like two weeks, including design really fast. Yeah, Uh, we didn't do a prototype, and we built like a hundred of them off the bat, and it worked. And we gave them away at at, uh, the Houston Maker Fair last year. Yeah, it was a pretty cool little project. People loved them. Yeah, people love them. Uh, So I'm going to work on a Rev Two. The Rev Two, I'm going to change the processor to uh, Silicon Labs Sleepy B. I've never used one. So it's going to be kind of interesting. I'm going to have to port all my PIC code over. It should be pretty easy. It should be basically drag, drop the, the PIC code yeah, and then change yeah, the headers. say that now. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how you say that next week. It, in, who knows? It might be really, really easy. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I port prop code to yeah. C all the time, spin code to, to C. Yeah. And that's not that hard, um, mainly because I write my prop code like C. But they do have C on prop now. Really? Yeah, you can get GCC on the on the prop, which awesome. is pretty cool. I've never tried it. I I like spin too much. Well, now that I'm playing around with prop, I might want to mess around with that because I love programming in C. Yeah. How how are you finding the prop so far? So far, it's okay. So I've dealt with AVRs. I've dealt with picks. I've played around with with a handful of other stuff. So far, prop has been one of the easiest to learn. Yep. One of the easiest to just. If I want it to do something, just here it is. And, and I like that. It's really fast, and it's really simple. And the best thing is you have an expert sitting right next to you. Yeah. What yeah. about the issue you all had today? <laughs> well, okay, so, so as most of you guys know, I'm mainly an analog guy, not a digital guy. And so I'm sitting there beating my head over code for half a day. And then Parker looks over. And he's like, oh, you're missing this one command. Yeah, and and one we're command. just like, oh, damn it. He wasn't, he wasn't flushing his... Uh, I wasn't flushing my serial buffer. Yeah, which serial buffer. I should have known that. Yeah. Got, you got to flush when you're done, yeah. you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> and, so and I, were, I've been beating my head over this And for when you're parsing the string, yeah. you, were, uh, you were looking for... You're parsing the string for five characters, but you only needed one. I, yeah, I only and needed so basically one. It would run past but it was null. working... Part of the time. Part of the time. Part of the time. But because I was filling up my buffer and doing all kinds of weird crap. Yep. Yeah, so Parker set me straight. Well, this I, is what happens when an analog guy try to, tries to program. I'll put it this way. I've ran into those same issues. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's why I knew exactly what was wrong. 
<laughs> well, it's, it's funny because I'm sitting there the whole day and I'm just like, I know Parker's just going to look over and be like, here's the answer. <laughs> you just got to ask. Well, yeah, I wanted to figure it out myself. Yep. And then the uh, prop fan yep. for my Jeep. The uh, I posted some pictures on Twitter and stuff. Everything works really well. And then I came up with the idea, I should put GPS in the cell module on this. <laughs> uh, so I'm working on that now, too. Because why not? Yeah, why not? Um, Adafruit's got a really good uh, GPS module that you can buy for like 25 bucks. So I'm going to drop that on there. I'm actually going to put them on the bottom side of the board. And so I don't have to make the board bigger. Because the bottom side of the board has nothing. Yeah. So I'm going to put two ginormous heavy parts on the bottom of the board. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to have to hold them down with epoxy. Are you going to have to change your layout pretty heavily? No, no, no. There's, it's almost universally ground plane on that bottom. Oh, okay. That's easy. So I, I won't have to change much. But I'm hoping you don't need to actually, you only need, you talk to them over a serial terminal. So you only need two lines from the prop, uh, on the, the uh, parallax prop to it per, per device. Yeah. So I've got like 12 IO lines left over. Yeah. So, yeah. It's easy. Oh, hey, hey! Speaking of ground planes, uh, just just a, a a mistake I made this week that that is worth checking. It depends on your EDA tool. Make you use sure, DipTrace, by the way. I, I do use DipTrace, and and recently I've been using a beta version of DipTrace that I probably shouldn't have been using. Uh, but make sure you update your ground planes if you make any changes to your board. I made a mistake. I didn't update one of my ground planes and I shorted one of my power planes to my ground planes through Avia because I didn't update my plane. Yeah, the best thing is he's got this... <laughs> I think it was on Tuesday. Yeah. On Tuesday, he had this... I looked over and 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 Steven was over at the drill press <laughs> with this like $350 PCB and he's just drilling out Vias. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hey. like, what are you doing? He's like, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I only had to drill out like four, maybe five vias. <laughs> uh, it works now, though. Update your ground planes before you order your PCBs. You know what's fu funny is Eagle does that automatically for you. Yeah. Update your ground planes. Yeah. Uh, Diptrace should. Yeah, it should. It, it should. I, I, Parker and I continually have this rift between us. About the whole Eagle versus Diptrace thing. I will totally, completely concede that Eagle is probably better than Diptrace. But it just annoys me that I don't... So much that I don't want to use it. <laughs> Even though I know it's better. I don't want to use it. Uh, it just depends. They both have... They do things completely different how you draw stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like, I like Eagle just from... It's, a, it's the UI... And how you draw stuff is really old school CAD. Yeah, that's why I don't like yeah, that's it. That's why you don't like it. But I like it because I learned old school CAD back in high school. Right. And so whenever I go and find like like my favorite 2D drawing program now is DraftSight. Because it's like old school CAD. Yeah. And I actually tweeted that. And DraftSight was like, thanks for liking our product. <laughs> I'm like, and I was, I was like, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's like old school CAD. Old school CAD, where the left mouse button doesn't do anything. <laughs> and you type out half your commands. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I actually started picking up uh, Autodesk 123D again. That's really cool. Um, 
I, it seems to be like a much better version of SketchUp. It's the same kind of thing as SketchUp is you draw, at least how I draw 3D stuff is I draw a 2D thing and then extrude. That, yeah, that's how you should. Um, well, there's different ways to do it. That's how I do it. Uh, when, when I went through, I, was a, I started school as an aerospace engineer, and I can't remember the reason why, but, but we went through a whole entire lecture on why that's how you should start a drawing. I don't remember the answers. I'm, I'll have to look up why. I think it's, in engineering, it's a lot easier to, to get a dimension thing correct, uh, a dimension object correct. If you draw that face 2D first. And then pull it. it. And then pull it out. Yeah. So that way you know at least two axes are 100% correct. Yes. That's probably why. Yeah, that's it, it's most likely something. And, I figured that out my it's own. it's easier to manipulate down the road if you've done that and you create a part out of that or whatever you call yeah, it. Because um, when I when I learned Autodesk in uh, Autodesk 2000 yeah. in high school, uh, we would actually... We, we first start drawing, you know, on draft paper and stuff. So I actually can draft with a drafting table. Yep. And all the, uh, the, um, I actually have all my stuff, like, like templates for drawing circles and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the templates for all the numbers and letters. Yeah, I have all like, that stuff yep, still. Yep. Um, but then we went over to Autodesk 2000 and started drawing simple stuff. And eventually we, the, I took four years of it. I, every single year I was in high, uh, high school, I took, took, uh, drafting. Yeah. Um, and then in your fourth year, my professor, or my, not my professor, uh, teacher, I guess, um, his name is Mr. Parrott. I don't <laughs> know if he still is with uh, Spring Branch ISD, but uh, he actually had to like, kind of make up the curriculum for the fourth, fourth year because huh. it was only like two of us. And he's like the first time he's ever had students do like four years. <laughs> four years of <laughs> drafting. So we started doing 3D design, 3D drawings. Yeah. In a 2D space. Huh. So in Autodesk 2000, which was all 2D, yeah. you had to do isometric drawings. Oh, yeah. Those were fun back yeah. in the day. And, dude, I can whip that up by just typing in commands. Nice. Yeah. That's, like, the only thing I can do in command line is draw stuff. <laughs> you know what? Okay. This just popped into my mind. We know engineering drafting. There's another type of drafting that engineers work with and deal with that... I don't know. Is there a school that 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 works for? Have you seen the drawings that are in patents? Drawings oh. in patents all look like they came from about 1850, yeah. and they still <laughs> look like that. Yeah, There's got to be a school out there that's Maybe still like one line drawings like that. Maybe it's one person. One person in the entire world that does every patent. They still look like an old like boiler design from yeah. 1850 <laughs> or something. There's got to yeah, be a school right, out there right. that does that. Well, yeah, we, need, we need to look up the yeah, name of what kind of art that is. Yeah, because it's definitely different. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's trained because they all look alike. Yeah, and like when it says like figure one, it's like, set, well, I can't remember what that font is called, but it's got like the, uh, Josh, do you know? Is it a serif? It's definitely a serif. But yeah, it's a serif font. What is it? Yeah, I can't, I can't the remember font, what the family is. Yeah, 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 it's 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 like a proper font. It's a font, proper you know? font, but it's draw, hand drawn. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. It's what it's stenciled at least. Yeah, well, and and it's patents. Oh, patents, like you know, you just like the F, the curly F or big. Yeah, right, you know, right. It's, it's almost calligraphic. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. 
It's it's something, and and it's funny because like when we as engineers when we draw make a drawing and we have to point to something, we do a straight line and then an angle. Uh, with an arrow, if you look at a at a patent drawing, it's like a squiggly. It's, yeah, like, it's like a like, real nice like calligraphy yeah. arrow. <laughs> it like does a slight bend to the right and a slight bend to the left. Exactly. And it, and exactly. But there's got to be rules to that. Yeah. Yeah, we need to look that up. How to draw patent drawings. I bet you that's a Google thing. I bet you it is, yeah. Google probably does all the patent drawings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so what have you been doing this week? Uh, this week's been kind of rough for me. Uh, yeah, the I, best thing is on my show notes it says Stephen Toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I got a really bad stomach bug earlier this week, so I've been making a lot of sacrifices to the porcelain god. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's been pretty rough. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the beginning of this week uh, was was kind of uh, not not too productive from my side. But earlier this week, I did actually get uh, some new Transformers in. Yeah. Um, my favorite was lifting those up like curl, curling weights. So, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> so, as, as uh, any good engineer, I always have like 1,500 projects in the mix. And I'm always trying to juggle which one I should work on at any time. And uh, it just so worked out that my wife is out of town for a couple weeks. And so I was like, "Ooh, I gotta work on a on a new guitar amp that I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> so playing." So you crank with. that volume up, huh? Yeah. So I bought some new Transformers, and this is for like a monster hundred watt beastly amp. Uh, and so I finally got the Transformers in for it's it. It's like a fifty pound box. Yeah, it has, it has three parts in it. <laughs> they're huge. I love it. We 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 need to post some pictures of them. Yeah, they're they're ginormous. Yeah, they're, they're absolute monster. The best thing is is most of that weight is two parts. The other one's a little tiny choke that like. It's a, like, it's a three Henry troke, which isn't anything to you know bat your eyes at. It's a it's a it's a, a big inductor. It's, a, it's but, a big inductor, but it doesn't weigh that much. It's the other two ginormous transformers. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean if if you the the output transformer has uh, the the primaries on it has an inductance of like a hundred Henrys. You know they're, yeah. they're monsters. And I these love are it. hand built, right? Uh, they say hand built. So I, what's the company? Uh, Classic Tone. Classic Tone and... TM. Yeah, TM. <laughs> they have that all over the branding, all over that they, thing. They make a whole bunch of different guitar amp uh, transformers, but they make two in particular that... Um, there's a forum that I deal with that they... Uh, what's, the, what's the forum? The forum is called uh, Slow Clone. S-L-O Clone Forums. Uh, and and they, they, they make clones of a traditional amp that was built in 1985 called the Soldano S-L-O 100. Um... And and this forum has grown into probably the largest high gain metal amp forum out there, and it, and and it's not just metal amps anymore. It's pretty much anything. Uh, and and these guys helped. They worked with Classic Tone to get a what's called a project transformer built. So this is a monster project power transformer and a monster project output transformer that basically it's the kitchen sink. It has everything you want on it. Has every tap that you could possibly want. You want. Whatever it's in this transformer, it's not cheap, it's not light, it's not small, but it's got everything. It's got everything. Yeah. Do you know what the efficiency of that uh, transformer is? Oh, I mean, transformers are actually usually pretty tra uh, efficient. Uh, I don't know if there's any different, or because that's so many windings of different coils in it. Oh, oh, I mean, 
the, I mean, the, the, the reality of the, of the thing is I'm putting it into a circuit that at best is about 65% efficient. <laughs> so it doesn't so matter. it's swamped out by the crappiness of the circuit. Yeah. So, cause you're, do, you, cause you're using so, tubes. Okay. So it drops from 65 to 64%. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we've been, uh, working on the space echo, right? Yeah. Space echo, getting, getting some new parts for it. Uh, okay. the, the space echo is a rack mount piece of gear that, that, uh, Josh has here at the shop that we are, uh, doing a bit of a restore job a for. A bit him. of a restore is a little understatement. Yeah. Um, so it, it had some, some lovely, uh, a little bit of overhaul. Uh, yeah. A, a bit of overhaul. It, it had these wonderful... The, the, the device was not rack mount initially. No. It was converted to rack mount using some aluminum plates. Yeah, aluminum plates and screws found at Home Depot. Yeah, that don't match. Not don't match. No, not by Josh. Josh did yeah, not do Josh this. didn't do these. So so we designed him up a, a fancy new... Uh, front plate. Front plate. That and that actually arrives on Monday. Yeah, yeah. It's andized black, and it's gonna look slick. It's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be sick. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna spoil it. There's some, there's some cool aspects about the front plate that that yeah. Park, Parker did that I'm like, oh yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and since Josh, I'm gonna wait till we present it to Josh so you can see the front plate in all its glory. In, in the in the glory, yes. Um, so yeah. uh, and then we also purchased uh, what's called a wearables kit. So brand new set of tape, uh, new felt pieces. There's a new. I think they call it an upgrade bearing. Yeah, it's uh, push the, wheel. Yeah, basically it's the wheel that moves the tape through. Yeah, it's made of a of it made, it's made of a different material that is. They say it produces less. Uh, oh, what's the word? They say it's like whoosh in the whoosh. sound or something <laughs> like that. I don't remember what it was. It was some kind of BS. What if what, term. if what if the whoosh is what you want? Well, then we're taking it all out. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite was so we're looking at these rebuild kits and there's like four or five different companies that make them yeah of some and they're all like exactly the same mm -hmm. but some are like seventy dollars and some are like 150 they're all exactly the same though yeah um the cheapest ones come they from all Australia. take out the whoosh yeah they all take out the whoosh out um <laughs> but the my favorite was <laughs> uh does your Roland space echo motor have excessive wow and flutter and i'm like <laughs> excessive wow much flutter very spacey. Very spacey. <laughs> <laughs> Had to throw in a dog meme. Oh, or doge dog. meme. Yeah. Sp space echo dog. <laughs> so, yeah, when that arrives, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll be from, able to... From Australia. Well, yeah, that's right. Do you find out what wow and flutter is? No. Oh. But, has, but if, if it has well, excessive we'll wow and flutter... We'll talk about it when you bring it back. Okay. Yeah. So, well, but if yeah, it's no, excessive no, wow and flutter, it won't anymore. The, the, wow, the wow and flutter, I know, but I don't know what whoosh is. I, I do not know. I do, what, we could talk about wow and flutter another time. <laughs> um, and we're recapping it this weekend. Yep. With, um, with fine gold caps. With fine gold caps, which we talked about last week. <laughs> Nikikon, fine gold. Fine gold. I'm actually, I would, whenever I, we say fine gold, I picture like a... Uh, back in the uh, gold rush in California, and like one of those like guys that's got like a crick in his back, the messed up hat, and like missing all his teeth, and he opens up his teeth and is a capacitor, a fine <laughs> gold capacitor, is the only tooth he has. <laughs> <laughs> or he's, or they're all out there in the river and they're panning and they sift it around and there's just a bunch of caps, caps in, in there. there. <laughs> you know. That should go on our list of videos to make. I think so. Yeah. Think Panning so. for audio cast. Panning for audio. <laughs> that 
I think that the might 49ers actually, that actually might be the title of this podcast. Oh, there we go. Done. <laughs> Done. That's actually, oh, by the way, that is the hardest thing is coming up with a decent name for the podcast title. <laughs> Maybe that should be a goal. We should think of the name while well, we Usually well, I do. Well, usually I'll take a, a snippet from it um, and make out the title. Okay. Uh, something stupid that we usually say. But that 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 is pretty good. <laughs> Panning for caps. Uh, let's see. We actually already talked about the next thing you were going to talk about. Yeah, a little bit. The uh, uh, so the customer fixture test thingy. Yeah, I've been working on that. I mean, we've been talking about that on the podcast for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's almost it's it's. It's right on the edge of being done. Yeah, I think by tomorrow y'all should have all the. Uh, I say y'all because it's 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 Stephen and Dustin who we've had on the show before. He was on episode thirteen. Yes, episode thirteen. Yeah, uh, Dustin um, is one of our line engineers. He uh, is pretty good with Python scripting, something that I am not good at. Uh, so he and I have been teaming up to uh, work on on uh, one of the jigs. I've been uh, dealing with a customer, and we finally got. Pretty much all the functionality, what we need to uh, work and well today, which was which was fantastic. Yeah, awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, so we're able to put a panel of boards down, open up programming lines, talk to a specific board, then control that board to it talk to a motor, and then get feedback from the motor and see that it's spinning and move on to the next board and go down the line. So. I'm just I'm happy because it's finally doing what it's supposed to. You no, know, we should see if we can do that same thing with the uh, pin heck board because we have a test fixture for it. Mm-hmm. But right now, um, you have to have two programs open. You have to have the pick kit three programmer open. Yep. Uh, actually, no, it's the MP Lab IPE is what yes. we use now. We stopped using that old piece of software. So yeah, we use the MPE. Oh no, the MP Lab. Uh, IPE, mm-hmm. inter-programming environment. Yep. Uh, and then we use a serial terminal to talk to the board. And basically, you start the programming, and then the serial terminal will tell you, hey, go to IPE program, come back when it's done. And so it would be really cool if we can just automate that whole process. Python script. Uh, well, I have to... Uh, the good thing is I know an FA, uh, FAE over at... Microchip, I can see, hey, is there a command line option we can make this yeah, work with, right. with the pick kit? I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there it's got, is. It's got to have one. They probably have a command line, yeah. Or a version that we can, or a different programmer that works with that interface. You know what's really cool that, that we found out today? So, so we have our Python script going, and what it does is it basically, when it comes time to program, we're programming an STM chip. Yes. Uh, so, so what happens is our, our Python script will open the STM command line interface and program the boards. What I thought was going to happen was it would actually physically open up the, the command line interface in a separate window. It doesn't. It actually dumps everything to the actual Python window itself. So everything is sequential, and you can see history of everything that happened in the Python window. Do you window. know what uh, IDE Dustin's using? Uh, it was Python 2.7. I don't remember what the IDE is. Yeah, because I've never seen that interface before. It was it was clean. I yeah, liked it. I liked it. Yeah. So um, we'll ask we'll ask Dustin and we'll post it in the in the description. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, it worked out well. Yeah. Um, we did a double double high five. That's like, right. All three engineers high five. <laughs> that could be a dance move. 
We need we need to we need to show my my newest dance move. Yeah, it's it's, it's I made it up a couple weeks ago. Yep. Oh, we need it's to. Called, it's called adjusting the scope. Adjusting the scope. <laughs> yeah, I think I think because we mentioned that we have to have a gif of you doing it. Well, wait. Well, I mean, I'm that's why I'm bringing it up because yeah. we haven't done it yet. We yeah. need to. So we'll we'll make a gif of you doing it for the for the podcast description. Adjusting the scope. <laughs> you know, that's actually probably going to be the picture. Abel, who's our our uh, marketing guy, he's probably going to use that picture of you adjusting the scope for the uh, podcast. I'm I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the when you did oh man I the fact that you when you bust that move out and <laughs> I immediately lost it. <laughs> I had that one in my back pocket for a while, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, uh, RFO section. RFO. And this is only. Slightly RFO is only going to be, I think, only like one, maybe two opinions in this thing. Okay. Okay. So the first thing is, um, there's this really cool project I saw on Hackaday. Yeah. Uh, was on Hackaday or Kotaku? I can't remember. Anyways, uh, back in the day, about a decade ago, Burger King came out with these like fake Game Boy colors mm-hmm. that were actually like analog toys. Like yeah. you press buttons and like. Things happen on the screen. I, I don't know what, remember what it was. But anyway, someone hacked one apart, put the guts, put a Raspberry Pi Zero in it, and a screen, and made it a Game Boy emulator. Okay, it's pretty cool. Um, and there was, and I started searching more into that. And there's another person who took a a old Game Boy DMG01, which is the big old school Game Boy Gray. Uh, yeah, the, the big rectangle, the, the brick. We call it the Game Boy brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he did pretty much the same thing. He hacked it apart, put a a uh, a, uh, a Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi Zero and a screen, and did that. And I'm like, okay. Uh, if you, if you all don't know, I actually got my start in doing electronics, hacking apart old video game consoles and making them portable. Yeah. So this is like, it's right down your it's, alley. It's tugging my heartstrings seeing this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and so I was thinking, I'm like. How can we one up these guys? Because yeah. I love one upping people. <laughs> you gotta one up the uh, adjusting the scope dance move. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll come up with one that will. Okay. Uh, so, so how do we one up these guys? So, Octavo's chip. Yeah. The, we the, build a one board solution portable emulator system. That's just a beefcake. It, a, it, it's got a one gigahertz processor, five hundred twelve meg of RAM, and we just you, we can we can probably emulate PS One on it. Yeah, probably. Um, we'd have to have analog sticks on it, but besides the point, something that's got that much horsepower under the hood, and we can fit it into a DMG zero size case, a DMG zero one size case. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be killer. Let's make it lithium it. battery powered. And We've put been a, looking for a project. Yeah, and make it like a uh, put like a four inch screen so you can actually see something. <laughs> High def. <laughs> and I think we'll put rechargeable batteries. I'll probably use eighteen six fifty cells. Yeah, but make it so you can replace them as well, so you can charge them in unit or out of the unit. Ah. And so if you're on the go, you can just pop them out, pop new eighteen six fifties in. And you, you got a you got a one gigahertz Linux emulator in your pocket. 
in your pocket. We already have that. It's called phones. But this has controls built in. And we were talking about the amplifier we want to use for it. Yeah. Um, so you're doing the you're going to do the analog end. Yep. Because um, we want this thing to be like, burr, burr, burr. <laughs> just overly powerful. Yeah. Um, and so you've got this little boombox thing that actually sounds really good. Yeah, I bought my wife a Bluetooth, just I don't know, portable speaker thing, and it's I don't know, maybe it's six inches six by, by two inches two, by yeah. maybe three Half quarters an of an inch, something like yeah, that. Something yeah. Like that. And it's got some mean sound coming yeah, out. Yeah, it sounds of it. good. Yeah, so I'm thinking about cracking it open, taking a look at what they did. What speakers they have in it. Yeah. It's got a weird bass diaphragm in it, which I don't think we can copy. But, but we might not need to. We might not need to. Because yeah. I actually, what I did is I, I held the diaphragm, the bass, yeah. so it couldn't vibrate, and I couldn't actually tell a difference in the sound. It may be also what we were playing at the moment didn't we were have playing a ton Daft of bass. Punk. Which is pretty bassy. We're true. listening to uh, Random Access Memory today. God, I love that album. One more time. <laughs> That's exactly how it sounds. <laughs> That's exactly how it sounds. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> uh, okay, so not really an opinion. That's just the project. I promised last time that we'd have a project for Octavo's chip. Yeah. That's going to be it. We're going to well, build it. My, my opinion is it's really cool. Yeah. So I want to figure out how to do the screen. Okay. Um, I have we have a couple screen four inch screens that we can drive composite right now. Right. But I'd like to be able to drive it natively from the chip. So I'm actually going to email Greg and be like, Hey, Greg, what's going to be the best way to get video out? Can we drive? Do you all have a recommended screen that we can drive directly, like LVDS from the chip? Oh man. Or can we? Or do we have to go HDMI? Or can we do composite? We already have the screen. I bet you're going to have to have some something in between. I'm hoping not. We'll see what he says. Yeah. It's my gut feeling. And he's just right down the street. So. Yeah. <laughs> he might want one of these. He might want one. Um, I think it'd be pretty cool. And we're going to 3D print the cases, and it's going to be sweet. Heck yeah. All right. So uh, I, 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 at least I thought this article was cool. Um, the FFA, uh, FAA which does all the, you know, planes flying around and stuff in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like drones or, or uh, quadcopters too much because uh, basically because a lot of any, pretty much anyone can fly them and no one pays attention to the rules <laughs> right. uh, of where you should fly RC vehicles and not. Mm-hmm. And so they're setting up these things called uh, UDS, ODS. Uh, whatever uh, anti UAV defense systems A U D S A U D S um, odds it rolls odds. off your tongue yeah uh, apparently you can detect a drone up to ten kilometers away which is what five miles four or five miles yeah um, maybe a little bit more for us USA folks uh, and they can track it with vision and infrared. Okay. So the fact that they can pick up something that, like a foot in diameter that far away is that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, but the qu- interesting thing is they can jam it. Hmm. They can jam the pilot's signals. Really? So it's jamming 2.4 gigahertz at that distance. That's a ton of energy. That's beefy. Yeah, they're because that because you got thing is the person who's on the ground's got at least you know I I can't remember what the legal requirement for how much wattage or transmitter receiver is let's say a watt but you're only like a couple hundred feet away from it this thing is five miles away 
and it can jam override your signal. Yeah, that's and that's it, that's frying your brain kind of. Yeah, stuff. if you're right next to it, at least. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so you can jam from that far away. Wow. Um. I mean, most high-end drones nowadays, when they get jammed or they lose signal to the base, they automatically fly home. Yeah. So I, I guess for pilots, it's not too big of a deal for them to be jammed. In the first place, that pilot should never have been in that area to fly because they're usually probably next to an airport. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's some talk about this online where, like, oh, the FAA is, like, overstepping the boundaries. Like, no, they're just making sure you don't, like, ram your your quadcopter into a passenger jet engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A $1 um, billion dollar yeah, airplane. Yeah, I, I, I personally... These things are very expensive, which is probably the only thing I have against them doing it because we have to pay for them as taxpayers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe people should not be stupid and fly their drones onto airports. <laughs> that's my opinion, at least. That's where flying stuff goes. Yeah, that's where flying stuff goes. That's my opinion about it. Huh. I don't know. Uh that's really interesting. I mean, I, I I tend to I tend to sit in the same camp as you on that one. Yeah. I mean, if you're dumb enough to fly a drone at an airport, uh, I mean, they, they if there's one place where they keep their eyes on the sky, it's an airport. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that's probably a place you shouldn't. If you if you got a drone, fly it in your neighborhood or go down to your park and. Well, fly you have to have there. a license for it now, but you can apply for it online and get it online. Uh, okay, a license for what? Flying a quadcopter over a certain weight or size. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that makes... Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's probably a pretty big size and a pretty heavy weight, right? Uh, I think it's... Uh, yeah, uh, Josh is shaking his head because I know Josh has a, has a quad. Um, and it's I know, pretty low? Yeah. It's, it's less than five pounds. Less than five pounds. Yep. Okay. So basically anything that's got a camera on it, you have to get a license. I know getting licenses license is easy. It's an online thing, so well. Okay, put, just it, put, put it this way: if you can buy it at Walmart, you probably shouldn't have to have a license to mm. to operate it. Like something that you fly around your house or license, right around. The license, all you have to do is basically swear you won't weaponize it and and fly uh, it on an air. Very, it's a very. I'm sorry, Josh. I can't. I can't do that. I can't I, that. I cannot promise it's that. A Josh. Five question: Do you? Yeah. Solemnly swear. Oh, okay. Will you not fly this near airports? Will you not put a gun on it? Will you not? <laughs> I, I can't will you say not no dive to any bomb little things. kids with it? <laughs> will, you, will you not pick up little? Will you not pick up little cats and fly them around in it? This is America. <laughs> this yeah, is America. I should be able to do what I want. Ah, uh, that's that's awesome. Well, I don't know if you can buy a big quadcopter at Walmart. Do you do you get a cool like? Can you put it on your driver's license? You know, you like on your driver's card. license, you have you have like you can operate a car. Mine says I can operate a motorcycle. Can I have quadcopter on so there? QC a Q on there? A Q on a the Q back? On there. Well, or would it be? A D? You have to go to the DMV. Do they have a D? Is there? Uh, I, I, I know mine's a Class C because I just have regular. Class, class C is is car, right? Yeah. Class C is normal, normal car, cars. Yeah, see, mine says CM because I'm car and motorcycle. motorcycle. What's commercial? Uh, a and B, isn't it? Yeah, A, B, C, and then M for motorcycle. Yes. If they did D for drones. D for drones and Q for quadcopters. Well, drone, quadcopter, it's the same from the media. Well, but, but, but drones can have weapons. Yes. Technically, a quad can have a weapon. 
Well, n not if not if you have a license. Well, that's the thing is that like quadcopter. As when you say drone, it that has some drone is autonomous. Autonomous, yeah. Whereas most quadcopters, the only autonomous it has is you can press a button and it can fly back to you. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes it a drone. That's at that droney. Point. That's a little bit kind of droney. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I don't have anything else to add to this. I, <laughs> I only have a little tiny quadcopter that's like, I have a, one of those uh, Hubson little tiny guys that fly around the shop. Do you have a license for it? You gotta get a license for no, it. No, it's like less than a pound. <laughs> it's like, it weighs less than a full can of beer. Is that your unit of measurement? Yeah, 12 ounces. <laughs> 12 ounces of beer. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm done with that. <laughs> that that's great. Alright, so... You have a question for me. I, yes, I have, a, I have a question for you, and I, I swear I've asked you this question before. But I don't remember it. But I, 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 maybe I'll remember it when you ask may, me. Maybe you will. Okay, so at a, at a, in a previous life, I worked at a place where our engineering manager was adamant about asking every new engineer who came in, doesn't matter what their discipline was, he asked them one question, and he asked them in the interview, and he asked me in this in the interview, and all of my friends who worked there, too. Oh, boy. Okay? These questions. Uh, and this was the last thing that they asked in the interview. Okay, so, you're in a boat. Okay. In a pond. Okay. You and a rock are in this boat. So, okay? me and a rock in a boat in a pond. In a pond. Okay. You pick up the rock. Okay. And you throw it into the pond. Okay. What happens to the water level? Does it go up? Does it go down? Or does it stay the same? Stays the same. Does it? It should stay the same. Displacement's what? displacement. But if it's in a boat, is it due to displacement? Yeah, when you're in, when it's in a boat, the boat weighs more, and so it displaces more water, the same weight of the rock. Oh, it depends uh, on density of the rock. It right? does. It does depend yeah. on density of the okay. rock. Okay, it depends on density of the rock. Yeah. So it, 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 it totally does depend on the density of the rock. So when the rock is underwater, it actually depends on the um, volume so that, the, was, well, that the rock Assuming a rock is usually more dense than, than water. Yes. So it, the, the water level would go down. Correct. Correct. That's Aha, it. I figured it out. Not just its density, but its porousness would matter too. And and if it's porous, it brings in water, which limits the displacement. That's correct. Yeah. And that's a porosity. 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 Oh, that's the word. Yeah. So so when someone asks you that question in your interview, ask, is it a lava rock? <laughs> Actually, and that's just the, that's that's the thing. They. Um, the, I'm, glad, the I'm, I'm glad I didn't fall on my face on that one. Well, the first the first thing you said was that it stayed the same. Yeah, uh, well, and I'm saying you fell on your face. I was but, thinking just displacement. Right, exactly. But but the the whole point that he kept telling me over years and years of me sitting in on these interviews with him was that he was just looking for an engineer to do exactly what you just did was to just walk through it in their mind. Yep. You know, what, like he doesn't really care if you get the right answer or the wrong answer. Did you kind of like put pieces together? Yep. And so uh, I, I, I can't believe I hadn't asked you that question before. No, I like that question. It's now. a good one, isn't I it? I like that one. Yeah. It actually yeah. does make you, because you your first thing is, it stays the same because it's displacement. Yes. At least for me, because that was the first thing I was like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, weight is weight. And I'm like, oh, weight. Yeah. This oh. It depends on the density of the rock because if it weighs, yeah. 
Right, right. But if but if you consider the density of a rock in general is going to be much more than water, yep. then the water level goes down. I guess you can ask the, ask the person you're at in the interview is, does the rock float? Is the rock a witch? Well, and, 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 and actually, those kind of questions are I'm surprised are no one still, picked up on that joke. They're still good. <laughs> what, they're from Monty Python? Monty Python, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Does the rock burn? <laughs> Sorry about interrupting you, man. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Well, cool, cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you, uh, you got that answer. We should That's ask fun. Dustin that question tomorrow. Oh, man. He'd be like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Let's go program something. Yeah, let's go program <laughs> Let's go program this jig. Okay, cool. And uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode, right? Yeah, I think that's good. So that was uh, episode 19. Yep. Next week is episode 20. Woohoo! Yeah. I can't believe we've been doing this for this long. Especially wow. week after week after week. It's nonstop. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, that's going to wrap up this uh, episode of the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your guests. Uh, guests. Oh, I missed oh, up the outro. No! Uh, we were your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Catch on next time, guys. Take it easy. There we go. We got that. We got it down. We'll get, we'll get it right next week. Yep, next week. <laughs>